the free for all roundtable brought to you by lexus avon canada's newest lexus dealer in the maple auto mall near rutherford at highway 400 luxury is closer than you think round one on round one from power group communications the host of the o show laura babcock is here mark warner international trade lawyer tim hudak former leader of the province's conservatives now with the ontario real estate association happy wednesday to the three of you lots of stuff to sink our teeth into so let's start with something we were just talking about uh with uh ben spur from the toronto star and that would be this uh letter of intent it's not a done deal it's a letter of intent between the city of toronto and maple leaf sports entertainment about how the city will backstop that organization in the event that the FIFA World Cup loses money. Uh, Mark Warner, let me start with you because you worked in government as a lawyer. You negotiated deals previously. And I'm wondering, um, does this look kosher to you and does it seem like a good deal? You know, I, I, I don't I don't really have enough information to really answer that. I looked at it and I, and I, I, I just don't know how typical this is for sporting events. Um, and that's sort of, I didn't work anything like that. And I was trying to work it through my head. It does seem fairly generous to me in, in the sense, I don't really see what the city is getting back. That is so great for that. I mean, and it seems fairly open-ended. I, I'd want to read it. I mean, I mean, I mean, for improvements to the facilities, that sounds to me like a black hole that I'd want to, I'd want to cap. And, um, you know, so I, I just don't know. I mean, it's 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 one of these things I hope the reporters continue to dig into and get us more information about it because it's really hard to judge it. Yeah. Um, without OK. Laura Babcock, I look at this and I think, you know, I mentioned the model a few minutes ago that in Hollywood, if you have points in a movie, they always come back and say, no, no, Star Wars lost money. Um, so I look at this and I can't imagine that the city isn't going to end up having to spend some money. Yeah, probably will. And so, you know, I grew up in Montreal during the big O controversy, as you recall, John. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we're, we're kind of bruised by the idea of a city never being able to pay back for a major sporting event and infrastructure. Uh, and, but and then you look at Hamilton, for instance, and the what's been going back and forth with hosting the Commonwealth Games and the, the deal that private businesses have made with the city on that. So there is an argument certainly to be made that uh, cities, especially cities that have, you know, in the case of Toronto, 18,000 people living rough on its streets and and a crisis in its transit system shouldn't be backstopping private sports clubs for games the only exception i would give to this and it's not just because i enjoy soccer it's because this is the world cup and if this thing is a money loser then someone doesn't know what they're doing because this is something that gets the entire world engaged and toronto wants to play on that level as a world-class international city so i think it's a good game to be involved in and also look at the players that they're working with mlsc sports i mean they own everything uh, they own the teams in toronto how could the city possibly pull this off without them so in the case of a negotiation with a private business business, they're holding all of the cards. Yeah, Tim Hudak, I suppose a couple of years from now, some people will chortle that we were cynical about the deal and it ends up turning a profit for the city. Yeah, I'm not so sure. <laughs> it's hard to find. Like, and I'm, ex I'm excited about this. I, I like the World Cup. I'm excited we're part of it. But boy, we really wrestled the MLSE to the ceiling here on this one. Eh? Like, I, I got to imagine that company is going to make a, a significant amount of money from, from concessions. Maybe I don't understand the deal. Uh, merchandise sales and parking. Where, where's the upside for the taxpayer on the money that uh, this, this major corporation is going to make? The inherent conflict that, that I've seen here, and, and I, I don't know exactly the resolution. 
But inherent conflict is that politicians and senior bureaucrats are going to be predisposed to put taxpayers on the hook. The reason being it's an exciting event. You want to be associated with it. You ever seen those photos? They're kind of embarrassing. And I did this too, John, where all the politicians try to crowd in the frame for the ribbon cutting. Oh, yeah. And it looked rather goofy, but they want to get that picture to get the credit. This is a major way of, uh, of achieving that outcome. You get free tickets for the games. You get to be associated with it. And too often, politicians and bureaucrats that sign these deals do so because it's going to be- benefit them more at the end of the yeah. day than the taxpayer. Interesting angles. Um, at 8.20 this morning, the energy minister is going to join us to explain the reasoning behind a new offer where you can opt for super cheap hydroelectricity from 1 to one a.m. to 7 a.m., but you, in exchange, you have to go for a higher price for the supper hour, basically. Uh, Tim, I'll start with you on this one. This strikes me as one of those, it's almost like we're getting into the way cable packages used to work. I mean, you got to choose and sort of bet on what it's going to work out in your house. Why don't we just have cheaper rates when there's more el- or surplus electricity? Well, I think this tries to, to get there. Look, I, I certainly prefer this method where you give consumers choice between uh, variable rates or having one steady rate, what works best for you and your household. Compared to the old approach, it only had time use. Like I used to call the smart meters tax meters because I think that's what it what it really was. And I look at, across my time in, in government, and I think probably the most complex ministry right now isn't health. It's a ministry of, of, of energy because we've signed on all these contracts, whether for green power, for hydro, for nuclear, across the board. And you'll be producing power w- when you don't need it. And there's effectively no way to store that power. Battery technology is not there yet. So you're going to have all the surplus electricity uh, in the evenings and a shortage on hot days or cold days and midday. So giving people an option, as long as they explain it clearly to folks, that they can take advantage of that, take some of the surplus power off people's hands and save a few bucks, I like the consumer choice angle. Okay. Mark Warner, this may be actually just laying the groundwork for the future where we're all going to charge our cars by night. But at the moment, I'm not sure it makes sense. Well, I don't understand these things. I, I just, uh, you know, when I, when I have to get out a calculator, figure out whether I'm going to turn on my iron or not is a... Is a is just too tough for me. Um, you know, I, obviously the issue is we don't have enough uh, electricity pulsing through, and and we also have a, a very a, a grid that needs upgrading and all of that. So you've got to get money into it. But um, you know, it's a, a kind of like truth in advertising, and uh, some of these sometimes you can give people too much choice, so that it's a uh, it's sort of like those standard form contracts on the back of a Jay's ticket, right? That no one's ever going to read. <laughs> <laughs> your eyes glaze over, including the eyes of lawyers. So um, this sounds very complicated to me. To, uh, maybe it makes sense for some people, but I, I think for a lot of people, this will be just make their eyes glaze over. Glaze over. You don't really iron, do you? <laughs> I have been known to. Okay. <laughs> Laura Babcock, it does seem very, very complicated. It's why I'm looking forward to my conversation with the minister at 820. Yeah, this would never work in our house. We've got four different people who like to do their laundry at different times and the dishwasher run at different times and it's it's chaos in this house. I think it ended up costing us more. But I think about my neighbors who are on a fixed income, who are um, struggling under a new and very high tax increase in our city, and they would be able to control their use. And if they've got smart appliances, they can pre-program so that they run during those uh, very low rates, then that makes sense for them. But uh, this is something that's going to be, I think, very niche in its appeal to consumers. Businesses are to pay back the federal loans they got as part of pandemic relief. They have to pay it back by the end of this calendar year. They're asking for more time. Uh, Tim Hudak, are you sympathetic? 
You know, I am to the to the small businesses. I, I, I do believe you could develop a program that will give the mom and pop, particularly if they're in the tourism, hospitality sector, for example, dealing with cost increases, wage increases that were not anticipated when we built this program. For the larger corporations that can tap into other areas, you know, I would draw the line and say no. But for mom and pop, John, I would have a bit of sympathy. Laura Babcock, what do you think? Oh, this is absolutely necessary that they do something to amend this program. Let's face it, the businesses that are suffering and asking for an extension here are the ones that cannot repay what they owe on these loans because they simply haven't seen the return of profits. And so for what makes me so angry about this, John, is if they can repay by the end of the year, then they get $20,000 off. But the ones who can't repay don't have access to that $20,000 rebate. And then they start getting interest accrued on this thing. If we're here to help small businesses through a once in a century pandemic, then help them. Don't start adding interest to these loans. Give the $20,000 forgiveness to businesses that are SMEs or smaller, you know, the mom and pop shops that need it. And let's get Canadian businesses back in full swing. Let's stop being punitive around the edges with the pennies to the small guys when the big guys out there are getting huge tax breaks. All right. Laura's getting worked up. Mark Warner, what do you say? I have a business. I have a business. (laughs) Yeah, well, um, you know, my problem with this from the way you act, John, is I don't believe in policy by press release. So I was never a fan of any of those government programs because none of them were done properly. When I was in government and the bureaucratic side, I spent a lot of time and a lot of sleepless nights trying to get governments not to announce policies until they were properly thought through and they figured out how they were going to work and you dealt with some of the unintended consequences. I know the people of Canada are very understanding and immediately said, oh, it's a pandemic, so we have to forgive them. Let's just do it. So look, a lot of these policies at the time were just bad, you know, and there were a few lonely voices who said they're bad. And yes, now we see they were bad. So I don't know what to do. I mean, the time for Canadians to get angry is in real time. And after that, forensic anger about public policy is something I just don't understand. Forensic I don't think anger. It helps very much. I like the yeah. pointing of that phrase. Uh, what do we make of the mass resignation? Well, it's not that mass. I think it was five people. But um, the foundation, Trudeau Foundation board resigned yesterday along with the CEO. Uh, Mark Warner, I can't imagine you're a tremendous fan of the foundation no matter how nebulous or opaque it may be. Um, but I still don't see where the scandal is. Well, I thought that, uh, well, I'm not sure what you mean by that. I mean, the scandal about Chinese interference in our election and Chinese donors giving money to the foundation, <laughs> the Trudeau Foundation, I think there's a huge scandal well, there. People who I share passports to... were involved in a scandal, and then they were one guy gave some yeah. money to the foundation think, in 2016. I think that's a very generous interpretation of it. We'll see if David Johnston, if he comes out with that, and if he ends up being the one to do it. But look, I think that this whole area of uh, the Trudeau government's inter, uh, connections with China is a big issue. I hope that uh, the, the intensity with which the government fights a genuine independent review of it, I think, sort of makes me think that there's something more there. Not sure why the Trudeau Foundation people resign now. I mean, they think the problem is that people are questioning their receipt of a donation and not the fact that they accepted a donation that I think most ordinary people would look at and say, well, that looks kind of dodgy to begin with. But um, so I, I think we, uh, you know, I think I, I think I'm waiting to see the next shoe drop on that to figure out why now. Why did they all resign at this point? It, that does seem very odd to me. And I, I think there's more that will come out on this, it seems to me. It just doesn't seem to make a lot of sense that having ignored it for so long, they have resigned in such a fit of petulant, uh, more anger, it seems to me at this time. All right, Tim Hudak. Well, uh, the latest casualty in, a th- in our prime minister's fumbling, bad fumbling on this issue and his, his dithering 
Secondly, I think you see echoes here of the Hockey Canada, echoes here of the the We Foundation's uh, collapse. And I'm a bit on Mark Warner's side. Look, John, I have no particular insight. I've not even heard a juicy rumor. Sometimes there is smoke, and sometimes a cigar is just a cigar. But clearly, the foundation uh, must have believed that their reputations, and they'll look to protect their own reputations, were at risk. Maybe there's something else yet to be uh, unearthed. And I suspect those that cooperate, those who benefit, those who support the foundation started asking some hard questions and they had no choice but to step down. Laura Babcock, this all reminds me of how people invoke the uh, the Biden crime family. And yet to date, I haven't seen any crimes. But Hunter's laptop, I mean. Oh, I know. <laughs> so putting, putting that aside for a moment, from a PR lens, here's why it's problematic. And I work with a lot of boards and for them to resign en masse like this, you know that the pressure must be unbearable around that table because it can usually withstand a fair bit. It's it's called the tent peg in PR, right? Where there's a story that's so strong it nails, goes right into the ground and then you tag other stories onto it. Well, the election interference, the MP and MPP or, that have resigned, you know, or who have gone independent because of it, that's that's a huge story and the special rapporteur another huge story and it's being pounded on by the loyal opposition and then you've got the fact that this was a seven hundred thousand dollar donation uh the reason why they're dealing with it now is because those other stories that 10 peg is in the ground and this is only going to gain momentum as a pr crisis so i can totally understand why they did it i don't think it resolves any of the issues around the foundation and its relationships with china it's going to get worse before it gets better thanks to tim hudak laura babcock and mark warner that's round one catch the round table round one at 745 round two at 845 weekday mornings on more in the morning news talk 1010 toronto